0: Welcome to Conjectural Combat, where figures, both factual and fictional, engage in fisticuffs. I am your host for this episode, Matt. I am, of course, the historical fanboy. And joining me, um, I wouldn't say as always because this is the first episode, but joining me for what I will assume will be always is uh, the fictional fanboy, Alex. Good evening. Good, good evening to you, sir.
1: It's a lovely evening for fisticuffs.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, there's hatred in the air.
1: Hatred, sweat semen, maybe.
0: Yeah, those are both the prime ingredients for both. Fighting yeah. and fucking. So you can't go wrong with either. But
1: uh A little known fact, uh, that's the smell of the air when uh M- MMA fight is about to start.
0: <laughs> oh god. Those those young men with sweaty bodies. Alright, we need to get off that subject <laughs> right away.
1: Getting too distracted. Yes.
0: Um but, no, this is uh, a new podcast Alex and I are doing. Uh, if you're familiar with us at all, you know we've, we've done stuff in the past. Uh, we did have a podcast we used to do called The Dort Knights. Um, things, I don't know, with the, the things it got to where we didn't do it as much and we kind of lost yeah. interest. Yeah, um, That happens. But
1: It it does. And To be fair, you, you had your podcast. I have my podcast. Yes. Yeah. We're we're but, kind of, I mean, we're pretty overrun with podcasts to be honest. Yeah. So, the idea of doing another one maybe isn't the smartest one, but this is a concept I think is worth yeah. trying.
0: Because when we did Door Knights, one of you know with good reason, uh, obvious reason I should say, for me, but one of my favorite segments we used to do in Dort Nights was of course the Historical Fight Clubs, um, where I would of course teach you about history, yes. and we would throw in some nice violence. There.
1: Yeah, a lot of violence. For good, for good measure. Yeah. yeah, a lot and of we, violence. And we covered some good subjects in our time, our short time yeah. doing Historical Fight Club. We did, yeah. uh, of course, Blackbeard. We covered, um, of course, the legend of Vlad Tepes.
0: Yes, Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, and Caligula Fault. One of, one of my favorite episodes um, that we did. And, of course, uh, probably my favorite moment. and I think I told you this last week, but... The, go back to the Blackbeard fight with Blackbeard and Nathan Bedford Force. How you had no idea that who Nathan Bedford Force was, and I dropped that bomb show that he was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. You just a, went shit.
1: A bomb only you could drop.
0: <laughs> a clan bomb.
1: Yes. A bomb full of pointy hats. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, like, like I said, we, we talked about it, and we decided maybe to turn this into sort of its own thing. We it has been we you know we've kinda of talked about it off and on in the past. And so we're gonna to try to do this but with a little twist. Um, in addition to historical figures, we're also going to try to do fictional characters.
1: Yes, which I will host those episodes and you will host yes. the historical ones.
0: Yes. Because as I said again and I am of course the historical fanboy and you are more of the fictional
1: one. I'll yes go. Professor Petically- Professor Matt.
0: It's Professor Mann, and you, of course, pop culture professor, Alex. I don't know.
1: En- Enthusiast, big. Uh,
0: there you go. Um, now you're saying professor makes me think I want to be like the Professor X character. Like, Come to me, my history men.
1: <laughs> it's just like John Adams. He has razor-sharp claws. <laughs> uh,
0: Washington just spits wood from his mouth like a machine <laughs> man.
1: But, uh... And, of course, uh, Harry S. Truman. It controls all metal.
0: No, no, no. Harry S. Truman is the Hulk. We've established this. He is an atomic rage monster.
1: <laughs> He's Sasquatch from from uh, Alpha Flight.
0: <laughs> I can get behind that. But uh, all right. Well, I guess without further ado, we'll actually get into this episode and the two combatants that we've brought together through. The magic of internet imagination. We have brought them together. We've pulled them from the time stream like a very, very low-budget Doctor Who.
1: Yes. Yes, and who are the combatants for tonight, Matt?
0: Well, this is actually one that uh giving you a look behind the scenes. This is one we recorded uh, back last year, but we had sound quality issues, so we had to scrap it. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to this one because these two seem to be evenly matched in a lot of different ways. Uh I like to pick the combatants sort of based on the way they complement each other or the way they have stark differences from each other. And In this case, I've taken two military men, two men who were very important to the United States Navy. So, with that in mind, I'll introduce them. We have, in one corner, uh, we have John Paul Jones, who was captain of the Continental Navy during the American Revolution. In the other corner, we have... Uh, Richard Marchenko, who was commander of the U.S. Navy, commander in the U.S. Navy from the late 50s on up into the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I believe. So, two men who were both part of the Navy and both in their own way had uh, everlast or had uh, made impacts in the Navy and were part of the Navy lore in their own way. So, Okay, um, I guess since I'm the referee, you're 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 our emperor. You're the guy on the up on the veranda with the thumbs up, the thumbs down. Yes, you I'm where, say I'm wearing a toga. Yes, you're played by Joaquin Phoenix.
1: Yeah, I have that, crazy I have that,
0: Joaquin Phoenix. Not gladiator yeah. Joaquin Phoenix.
1: I have that weird crown still. I <laughs> have leaves.
0: Yeah, but um, like I said, it, since you decide who lives or who dies. I would defer to you. Who would you like to learn about first? you It's all about you learning this stuff. So who would you like to...
1: All right. So these are both, both. Americans, right? Both
0: Americans. Well, um, actually, John Paul Jones was born elsewhere. He came to America.
1: A communist. Uh, actually, you know, that actually intrigues me enough to say I want to learn about John Paul Jones first.
0: Okay. Um, well, John Paul Jones was actually born John Paul. And he was born in 1747 in drumroll Scotland.
1: He is a Scotsman. The land of John Lees.
0: It's the land of John Lees. Yes, he can probably traces his, his uh, heritage back to John Paul Jones.
1: The the land of Highlander and John Paul and John Lees. <laughs> yeah, John Paul Lees.
0: <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, you you'll see why. Just imagining John Lees seeing John Paul Jones and stuff, but. uh I'll get to that later, but, yes, John Paul Jones, he was born 1747 in Scotland. Uh, He grew up, where he grew up was sort of on the coast, and so he was always fascinated with uh, the ocean and the sea, stuff like that, and so when he became a young man, he began working as, he began working as like a cabin boy and a crew member on ships that traveled across the Atlantic. Now, most of these were either merchant ships or slave ships, and, in 1768, he kind of got tired of slavery and seeing you know how shitty it was, so uh, he quit his job on a slave ship and he went back to Scotland. So, why? Like I said,
1: what? Why? Why go back to Scotland? When, whenever you've left, I mean, you've you've escaped.
0: <laughs> well, you know, still, I mean, he, he wasn't a fan of Jamaica. Even back then, Jamaica had Rastafarians everywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I guess. Th- I guess in fairness, though, that's explain it.
0: Not, not only Rastafarians, but white people who thought they were Rastafarians.
1: <laughs> that's even worse.
0: Exactly. I mean, ten times as worse.
1: I mean, God, I I get enraged every time I see a white man with dreadlocks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, later that year, in uh, 1768, he was working on a ship. And he was like, I think he was second mate. Yes, he was second mate. And both the captain and the first mate died of yellow fever in the middle of the ocean, which happened a lot back in those days. You had, you know, all these men, close quarters for weeks and months at a time. Sicknesses happened a lot. Scurvy was a common one just because, you know, you couldn't keep fresh fruit.
1: Yeah. Also, there was no toothpaste.
0: Yeah, no toothpaste. Uh, Not yet, anyway.
1: That was a later invention. By the way, the yellow fever, for some reason, just makes me think you become that yellow bastard right before you die.
0: Bruce Willis pulls your dick off.
1: (laughs) It had to happen every time. He would would travel long distances.
0: He travels over time and space to rip people's dicks off, yes. But, um, but yeah, both the captain and the first mate died. So, age of 21... John Paul Jones takes over as acting captain, and he's able to take the ship, you know, there in the middle of the ocean, he's able to take it to a safe port. And the owner of the ship is so grateful, he made John Paul the captain of the ship and gave him a 10% stake in the cargo. So not only was he, like I said, 21 and commanded his own ship, but he also was getting points, you know, in every in all the cargo. So he was doing well for himself. That's just at 21.
1: Wow, that's a heck of a swag deal. That's like a, that's like winning the lottery in, yeah. you know, pirate times.
0: Oh, well, it's not all perfect because two years later, he kind of got in trouble because there was an insubordinate sailor in his crew. And because insubordination on a ship, no less, in the middle of the ocean, again, I can't stress how, kind of like, you know, we end up a couple of guys decide, you know, the captain ain't worth shit, you know. They can team up, and there's nowhere you can run. It's just you and them in the water, but, uh... And so, because he wanted to make sure everyone followed his rule, he beat the sailor pretty badly. Um, and so badly that the guy died of the beating a few days later.
1: Dang. I mean, that's... I'd rather... I think I'd rather get my dick ripped off by Bruce Willis.
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was arrested and briefly served time in Scotland. I took him back to Scotland, and, uh... He was free on bail, and he took over another ship. But something else happened. 18 months after beating the last guy to death, he killed another crew member. This one attempted to lead a mutiny against him, so him and John Paul Jones had a sword fight. <laughs> and he, he killed him in a sword fight. Wow. He's
1: got the taste for blood.
0: mm mm-hmm. Uh Now, this time, he killed two people, and he was afraid of going back to Scotland because of, you know going to jail, being hung, whatever. So he made a beeline for America, which a lot of people in trouble with the law did back during those days.
1: We were the prison planet. Like like uh, Australia is now, we were then.
0: Well, actually, George, that's what Georgia was. Georgia was a place where uh, the Eng- England sent the deadbeats who couldn't pay their debts.
1: No wonder you lived there.
0: <laughs> As I've said before, a Johnson never pays his debts. <laughs> But yeah, um, seventeen seventy, John Paul Jones. I actually know this would have been seventeen seventy one, seventeen seventy two. He made a beeline for America, and he, you know, I'll, I'll get in that later. But for now, I think I'll switch over to our other combatant, Mister Richard Marchenko. Dramatic statement. Uh, yes.
1: I like how you <laughs> that, leave it on kind of a cliffhanger.
0: And yeah, that cliffhanger, yes. But yeah, Richard Marchenko. He was born nineteen forty in Pennsylvania. Uh, when he was 18, he enlisted in the navy. He was uh, a radio man in the navy. It was his job to send signals and stuff to the ships and things like that.
1: Good morning, Chattanooga.
0: <laughs> exactly. He, he wanted to do. A, he wanted to be a DJ, but they wouldn't let him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, what he really wanted to do is he wanted to be part of this unit called the Underwater Demolitions Team. They were like highly trained, very dangerous. He wanted to be part of them, and he kept requesting that he, you know, that he they could join him, and they kept shooting him now, shooting him. Down. Finally, he figured out a way to uh, get himself into it, and I have no idea how this worked, but he knocked out one of his fellow Navy officers, <laughs> and as punishment for the crime, they assigned him to the underwater demolitions team.
1: That's that's amazing.
0: I know it's like apparently this was like the, their version of like the Dirty Dozen or the Suicide Squad.
1: Oh, nice! A Mandel that comes up to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is, like when we get into it, you'll see he is essentially Rick Flag, but uh, he would go through the the intense training that you need to do to be an underwater demolitions team member, and he you know he was so good he got promoted to be an officer, and so something interesting happened in the early '60s. The UDT team, they decided to rebrand it because instead of just being about demolitions and scuba diving and stuff like that, they were reformed to be a group to be used for unconventional warfare. Their ability to fight on air, sea, and in, and on land led to them giving a new, being given a new nickname.
1: They became a jeep.
0: <laughs> I don't think jeeps can fly, not yet anyway. We'll see. An all- but, they just
1: became one all-terrain vehicle.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the underwater demolitions team actually became the Navy SEALs. Wow. Yeah. So he, he was in the precursor of the Navy SEALs. So
1: also the suicide as, Squad.
0: Yeah. As an officer in the Navy SEALs, um, he fought during the height of the Vietnam war and he did, apparently he did a lot of combat missions. So many that we're not sure because, they they're still classified to this day. Um the effectiveness though is pretty apparent. The Viet Cong had a fifty thousand dollar bounty on his head while he was a commander in Vietnam. Nice. They wanted this guy gone. They sent in, you know, all kinds of people after him.
1: Yeah, they sent off Bruce Willis Deadshot.
0: Dead shot Bruce Willis to rip his dick off. Yeah.
1: Um bullseye.
0: Yeah. <laughs> During the uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Ted offensive, which was uh a pretty big uh thing where America we poured in a bunch of troops into Vietnam to try to just smack the shit out of the Viet Cong. Try to grind them down as much as possible. But during the Tet Offensive, his SEAL unit, Martinko's SEAL unit, and a group of Green Berets, they worked together in a joint rescue mission and they freed American nurses and a school teacher who was trapped and held hostage by the Viet Cong. So for all his all the work he did in Vietnam, he was given a bronze star, a silver star, and the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry. So much he was awarded so much of the other country awarded. Not not the bad people, but South South Vietnam. Oh, that would be cool if the if the Northern Vietnamese came. He was so
1: North. awesome that the enemies just decided, well, why not? Yeah, he, he deserves. Yeah. It. I mean, look at him. I can't be that. And, and twenty <laughs> but, Vietnamese men just hung their head in shame. <laughs>
0: but yeah, he was highly decorated going through Vietnam all these classified missions. And I think that's good enough point to leave us leave it with him and to go over back to John Paul.
1: God, you 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 work these cliffhangers in so well.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I try. But uh like I said John Paul Jones last time last we left John Paul Jones previously in the life of John Paul Jones he was uh, in america he was only, he was in america for a while and then he found out about the uh, continental navy which was you know the uh the the navy for the 13 colonies to help them out and stuff they were uh they were starting to gear up because of the revolution they were technically like more of a militia kind of thing because the technically the british navy was supposed to protect the united states or what would be the united states coastline but he he joined up with him, uh, and he adopted the last name Jones because up until now he was just John Paul.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of like gave, being named Matt Johnson, really. <laughs>
0: he he changed his name to Paul Johnson. Um, no, but he adopted the name John Paul Jones to kind of that way people were like, "Hey, aren't you John Paul, the guy who beat people to death?" No, I'm John Paul Jones. I'm a yeah, guy. I'm
1: I'm totally different. I mean, I have the exact names that of that other guy but I'm you you want that guy over there and he just points to a random guy in a bar the whole town <laughs> go kill him the whole town beats him mercilessly
0: John, John Paul Jones gets in on the act. he he's the one that kills him
1: <laughs> with a with a sword
0: <laughs> um, but no like because of the controversy surrounding surrounding him like the only way he got into the Navy at all was because of uh, there's this Guy in Virginia who he knew who was friends with, whose name was Richard Henry Lee. He was a businessman and a politician. He was actually the great grandfather of Robert Ely, who would
1: you know fight in the Civil War. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the guy who nearly kept slavery intact.
0: Yeah, that guy. Yes, of course. Uh, life's funny that way, don't you yeah. think? But uh, yeah, um, 1775. John Paul Jones was appointed a first lieutenant. And he was named second in command of a 24-gun ship called Alfred. And during the early months of the Revolutionary War, the Alfred prowled the coast of uh, the 13 colonies. They raided any British naval vessels they could find. After he was really successful with Alfred, so much so that they gave him his own ship, a 12-gun ship called the Providence. He managed... With the Providence though he managed to capture sixteen British vessels
1: in just a six week period. And he got so many chicks with it.
0: So many chicks. I mean he had like he had like spinners on yeah.
1: it. I mean hydraulic. I mean twelve guns, you gotta you gotta imagine that, that says something about your uh, your member.
0: Yeah. Well see that's the thing, like it's the whole thing overcompensating. You see guys with the thirty gun ships or you know, the twenty four gun frigates you know they're they're compensating for something. John Paul Jones, with twelve guns, took down sixteen British
1: ships. Yeah, just twelve.
0: Yeah, but uh, in November of set November second of seventeen seventy six, uh, while he was doing this campaign, just kicking general British ass, he uh, him and his crew went to Nova Scotia. In Nova Scotia, there was a small portion of the British Royal Fleet. They were docked there for repairs and. So, and plus, it was the winter. A lot of times, your winter, your boats, it's hard to sail. So, they dock them a lot. But, uh, while they were there, Jones and his crew, they managed to destroy the majority of the ship's dock there. They freed American POWs. They stole a merchant vessel loaded with winter clothes for British troops fighting in Canada and New York. They just, like, like I said, the, the clothing was just, to me, I think that was, that was one of the more important things of this because, at the time, that was definitely one of the more bitter winners of the Revolutionary War. And they didn't have their winter clothing. That really screwed up a lot of British soldiers.
1: And not only that, but uh, they must have hated Canada.
0: <laughs> um, and also, he also totally made out with the king's woman while he was there.
1: He just walked up like during the ceremony like Caligula.
0: Yeah. What's up, baby? I'm John Paul Jones. Let's get out of Wait, here. Wait, didn't
1: you beat one of those... Uh, man who was insubordinate to you? No, that that was the other guy. It was that guy, and he points to someone in the uh, wedding party.
0: <laughs> he just run. Where'd he go? He ran away. No no, 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 damn it. John Paul Jones fo- outfoxed us again with his pointing skills.
1: God. He, he was the scourge of Bruce Willis.
0: <laughs> but he was so successful that, again, he was given... Another ship. This one was upgraded. He got eighteen guns this time. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I thought he kick ass with twelve. Well, it's, it's really
1: cold. Okay, it's really cold. <laughs>
0: um, the uh, the Continental Congress, which at the time was sort of like got you know guys like John Adams, Thomas Jefferson were on it. They were sort of the legislative body, the closest thing we had to a government. They sent Jones and the Ranger to France. To assist with the United States cause, because at the time, they were trying to convince France to come into the war and join America. And, how not, because if France joined us, that would have been a big help
1: for us. Oh, well, they, they were too uh, busy with their wines and cheeses.
0: But, interestingly enough, while in France, Jones actually became real good friends with Benjamin Franklin. And I have no idea what they were doing, but I'm sure they were up to all kinds of stuff
1: in France. This was like the idea of Benjamin Franklin being in France randomly, He's just partying.
0: Well, that's that's what that's what like John Adams. Like I've read his the, the biography about John Adams, and he was very much disparaging of uh, of Franklin in France because he thought Franklin, instead of like actually being a diplomat, he spent too much time uh, drinking, eating, and having sex with women.
1: So he, really he was having it. parties. Yeah, he, he was. He was raising I imagine. Up.
0: I imagine at some point John Paul Jones and uh, Benjamin Franklin Eiffel Towered some chick.
1: I just imagine like Benjamin Franklin in the middle of a dance floor, like he's got a he's got like a football jersey on and a backwards baseball cap.
0: <laughs> he's breaking it down. That's you don't know that. That's how we actually won. Him and John Paul Jones served King King George. on the dance (laughs) floor, He had to give it up. When he saw those flunky, fresh dance moves. Yeah,
1: he was was the first American breakdance champion.
0: Um, but, uh, apparently whatever Franklin and, you know, well, Franklin did his job and sort of the fact that America was waging this war of attrition really helped. So, France finally, officially, they hitched their wagon to the United States and they allied with them. so, When John Paul Jones heard this, he naturally did what he was supposed to. He got in his boat with all his men, and they set sail for England to
1: fuck shit up. Oh, God.
0: I think I might leave it there.
1: (laughs) Just to fucking you. I just imagine, like, a lot of petticoats were thrown away in the water. Yes. Goodbye, women. Women of France, don't forget me.
0: Because I'll certainly forget you. Oh, yeah. But uh all right, Richard Marchinko. So, after Vietnam, Marchinko he became a lieutenant commander. He came back to the United States and he became the commander of his own SEAL team. And I don't I know you know about this event because you've seen the movie Argo, but in 1979 during the Iran hostage crisis, where all those uh hostages at the US embassy were Held hostage, yeah. obviously. they <laughs> I mean, hostage too much, but uh, they, they were held captive by Iranian revolutionaries. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a before. whole
1: thing. Ben Affleck had to come in. Uh, Brent, ben Affleck, Brian, Batman
0: saved. Yeah, the day. Bryan
1: Cranston was in America. He was overseeing things. Yeah.
0: Argo, fuck yourself. That's all I gotta say. But uh, Marchico, he was the Navy representative on a task force that they called. The Terrorism Action Team, and together this team came up with a plan to free the hostages in uh, Iran, but the plan failed mostly because we were so poorly coordinated. I say we, the special forces, were so poorly coordinated. They had a lot of problems with the helicopters, and they just weren't ready. They didn't have any experience in this kind of stuff, so. It was it was really embarrassing, and the government saw that they needed a full time counterterrorism team. So they tasked Marchenko with creating it. So what this he this is did,
1: the Suicide Squad.
0: Yeah. Well, what he did was he took the best of the best the seals and the navy had to offer. He created this unit based using those men in order to confuse and scare the enemies of the United States government. Marchenko gave the unit. A numerical designation of six. The
1: Sinister Six?
0: Well, no, but not the Sinister Six. SEAL Team oh. Six. Richard Marchenko created SEAL Team All Six. Right. Not only was he a proto-Navy SEAL man, but he created
1: seal I still team keep six. expecting like another comic book team to come in, like the Thunderbolts. <laughs> Shh,
0: they come later. You think I'm joking, but essentially Marchenko does hit up the Thunderbolts <laughs> later.
1: We're not done with him
0: uh, more on his turn to villain in a minute, but uh, as as I said before, with John Paul Jones, he set sail for England and in april seventeen seventy eight Jones and just sixteen sailors invaded the British town of Whitekirk in the middle of the night. They set fire to British boats docked you know on the on the to dock be fair their town
1: is named whitekirk, so I mean, yeah. they kind of had it coming. I'm just saying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> after um, after that, Jones and his crew, they raided the home of the Earl of Selkirk, who was, who was, who was living in Whitekirk. And their plan was to hold the British Lord ransom in exchange for the return of American POWs. But the problem was, the Earl wasn't home at the time. So, instead, John Paul Jones and his men harassed the Earl's wife and stole all his silver plates. <laughs> what <laughs> that's what they did
1: I, I what <laughs> I, I don't okay okay I. alright <laughs> fine fine I accept it but wow
0: you gotta take look you gotta take your victories where <laughs> you can get it man
1: I mean did they not get the forks I mean what did they pass up like the the, the doggy bowl or something
0: I don't know. Well, it says dark Bowl was bronze. Bronze is less yeah, metal. True. But I just like to think how they harassed the Earl's wife. Like, was she trying to clean up? They're like, oh, you missed a spot. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: God. I, uh, the silver plates thing, I mean, just get some paper plates, man. You don't have to be that desperate. Uh,
0: well, I think it was just. Look, Alex, to quote one of your favorite movies, it's not about the plates, it's about sending the message, alright? From this moment on, no English English lord's silverware was safe. <laughs> They've eaten well off that silverware uh, for too long.
1: While well, well, well England is starved.
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, apparently years later, uh, Jones, he returned the plates back to the Earl <laughs> and apologized.
1: <laughs> sorry yeah, about that. I'm sorry that. we stole your plates, which are probably easily replaceable.
0: Yeah, you're like an Earl or something, but yeah. hey.
1: Oh my bad. uh, Okay, my bad.
0: Um, I think that's actually important because of uh, the fact that, uh, as far as we can tell, that was the only time that uh, any United States force invaded England during the war. Even if it was 16 guys stealing plates, you know, it was still a very moral. Harassing
1: them like continue like uh washing dishes or something.
0: <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> like she'd get done washing a dish and like, the guy would lick it. You know you gotta <laughs> clean it again.
1: Accidentally drop one.
0: But uh on the way back to France actually after, you know, with their victory of stealing plates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> putting toilet paper on uh, the in the toilet. Clogging it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, they uh of course they TP'd the royal's house. later that later that night. He found, like, a flaming bag on his porch.
1: <laughs> of course, he never apologized for any of that.
0: Just the place. No, that was war. That yeah. was war, man.
1: That was the cost of war. That's what he, that's what he said. He was flinging some TP.
0: Like I said, on the way back to France, uh, they actually encountered a, a British warship, the uh, HMS Drake. And it was a pretty quick battle. Jones and the Ranger killed the captain of the Drake and 39 of his men, and then they captured the drake and sailed it back to France. So, like I said, while not technically a massive blow, but his campaign in the English waters was a big blow to British morale. It helped bolster America's spirits, and was, in addition to the invasion, it was also the only time, or the most successful battle, the American forces fought in English waters. So it showed the England, you know, just because you're on this island across this ocean doesn't mean we can't get
1: you. Exactly. So watch out, Linus.
0: Yeah. But, uh, so Jones went back to France and he was promoted again this time. He got a big ship, a (laughs) 42 gun. Did
1: he his salary in ships?
0: Hey, that's all he cared about, man. Ships and swords. That's how he got paid. But. I think it was just more of, like, you know, promotions and stuff. When you get a promotion, yes. you get a bigger ship. He passed up works. an
1: Xbox One to get.
0: Well, he didn't have no use for it. They didn't have electricity yeah. back then. I
1: mean, I mean, it was a little bit of a stretch, you know, uh, getting an invention from several centuries later.
0: I mean, it's Xbox One, but it's no silver plates. Come on. But, uh, yeah, he was promoted and given command of a forty-two gun ship known as the Bottom Richard. Wait, 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 wait. go back,
1: go back. Why was it named the Bottom Richard?
0: That's bottom. B O E N H O M M E it was like
1: a bottom <laughs> I, I sorry, I, I got I really got mixed up there.
0: It was, was my nice. accent. I apologize.
1: But uh Seriously, but how amazing would that be to own a ship called the Bottom Richard?
0: Yeah. There probably is a ship out there. If not that's when we, when we finally buy our yacht, that's what we're gonna
1: do. Then I get it. a rival yacht that's called the Top Richard.
0: <laughs> but uh yeah, um, He took over the, uh, the Bonham Richard, and he was given command of a small group of U.S. warships. So, he wasn't technically an admiral, but, you know, he he commanded more than one ship, so he was closer to an admiral. And so, him and his little flotilla, they were given, uh, the task of sailing into Britain's North Sea to distract and harass the Royal Navy while a much bigger, uh, Armada of French and Spanish ships would attack England from the south towards where London is to scare them. So, with that in mind, on September 23rd of 1779, Jones, the Bonham Richard, and his ships sailed out. And so, while they were on the sea, the Bonham Richard actually came across two British ships. A 44-gun ship called the Serapis and a 28-gun ship called the Countess of Scarborough. While the rest of Jones' fleet took on the Scarborough, which to me don't make any sense, uh, Jones and the much bigger, uh, Serapis squared off against each other. And much bigger ship, much bigger guns. The Serapis' cannon, they, uh, they crippled the bombers pretty quickly into the battle. And, many, a uh, lot of the cannons on the side deck of the ship were damaged in the, in the...
1: If only he were a power-bottom Richard.
0: <laughs> but uh, both ships continued to just fire on each other, and the bottom Richard was taking more of the damage. Um, in fact, into the fight, a shot from the Serapis blew the bottom Richard's mast down, and the captain of the Serapis shouted to John Paul Jones and the uh, bottom Richard if he was ready to surrender. And this is where... John Paul Jones probably says one of the more famous quotes in, like, naval history. When he, he gets pissed off and he yells back at the guy, he's like, Surrender! I have not yet begun to fight. Nice. Jones rammed the bottom Richard into the Serapis, and both ships got tangled together, and Jones and his men, they threw hooks and ropes across you know the water to the Serapis to make sure it stayed in place. That way, it couldn't sail away. And his sailors, they... You know, they shot into the ship and threw grenades. Uh, they set the ship on fire. British Marines come over. They tried to board the Bottom Richard, but Jones and his men, they were able to fight him back with their muskets and swords. And then Jones and his sailors, they went across the Serapis and captured the ship. At the end of the battle, though, both ships were heavily damaged. Both crews lost half their men, and there were several fires on both <laughs> ships. The Bomb Richard would actually later sink, uh... On its way back to France. But Jones and his men, they won yet another big, important moral battle for the U.S. Navy. So much so that for his work in France, he was uh, knighted by King Louis. He received the France Military Merit Award, as well as a Medal of Valor from the Continental Congress.
1: And he got that Xbox One.
0: And yeah, for some reason, the Vietnamese also gave him a, an award. I don't <laughs> understand that. It didn't technically exist at this point, but who knows? Um, he was seen as a national hero to us, us here in America, but to the British, you know, he's seen, of course, as a pirate and a thug yeah, and, and a, a sealer of plates. <laughs> sealer of plates. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the British don't look so kindly on the Scottish. Yeah,
1: well, that and, you know, we know John, so we know exactly how unpleasant they could be.
0: Yeah. Anyway, to our other friend, Mr. Richard Marchenko, who, by the way, I haven't said it yet, but I wanted to say it. I'll say it now, but uh, his nickname over the years, you know, Richard, a guy named Richard, of they call him Dick, but because of his work with the underwater Demolitions team, he actually gained the nickname over the years uh, of Dynamite Dick.
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Oh, uh, Dynamite Dick, Dynamite Dick, more Dynamite Dick, and he got to lead the Suicide Squad.
0: And here's where he takes his heel turn.
1: Oh God! In
0: 1983, Marchenko actually stepped down from SEAL Team 6. And he was given a new assignment. The government, the Navy, they gave him a task. He was to test the Navy's vulnerability to terrorism.
1: This is where he becomes Doomsday Dick.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he his team he formed called, he they were called Red Cell. And Marchenko picked 12 members of SEAL Team 6 along with one Marine Special Forces soldier to make up his unit. And so... Essentially, Red Seal's job was to harass the United States Navy.
1: So, so we started licking their plates.
0: <laughs> they break into the White House. They they steal. They, they harass the president, the First Lady, and steal her plates.
1: They empty the vacuum and spill dust on the on the uh, carpet. <laughs> they
0: uh they they leave they they break into Air Force One. They leave the lights on, so it runs down the battery. <laughs> But, uh no, actually their job was to fly around the world, and they would attack and infiltrate the U.S. military's own bases. <laughs> and they did this in order to test the security of the bases and show how the military would cope if the mil- if the enemy had someone like Marchenko and former SEAL Team 6 members on their side.
1: Um, Let's imagine, you know, have you ever seen those episodes of Jackass where, Bam Margera just goes in and beats the crap out of his dad. That's what I imagine this is a essentially like. like All of a sudden the door just swings open, Richard Martinko just comes in, beats the crap out of someone, and, and pulls off their shirt. Well,
0: it it gets kind of like that, because uh, under Martinko's leadership, the team, they were able to infiltrate all these places that were highly secured, almost seen as impenetrable. They were able to sneak on to bases. Nuclear submarines, uh, naval vessels, and other places like Air Force One and uh, even these top secret uh, bases and other sites. And they would appear on them and just disappear without incident. No one was even knew they were there till they were gone. And they would even kidnap high-ranking personnel and their families and quote-unquote mildly torture them to get wow. nuclear codes. They even kidnapped one admiral twice.
1: <laughs> okay, that's just dickish. Di- Dynamite dickish.
0: Dynamite dickish. I, you, you mentioned the band more before. They just made me think of, you know, hey, I'm Dynamite Dick. <laughs>
1: this is Ransom.
0: he breaks in, where are the codes? <laughs> and he starts beating on some old man.
1: Johnny Knoxville, is there an old man makeup? Yeah. but uh,
0: So yeah, needless to say, the uh, the Naval High Command were kind of, they yeah. weren't too happy with this. They were pissed off. They were embarrassed. They were scared shitless. Probably even yeah. afraid to sleep.
1: For some reason, they really got the favor of the Vietnamese.
0: (laughs) They also put a $50,000 bounty (laughs) on Marchenko's head. But uh, actually, no, what they wanted to do is they wanted wanted him out of the service. So the Navy spent around $60 million investigating Marchenko to look for any kind of dirt they could use on him, you know, have him fired uh, or discharged from the Navy or have him arrested. But, they couldn't find it. He, actually, he retired from the Navy in 1989 at the rank of commander, after serving 30 years. And, in 1990, Marchenko was arrested, actually, for defrauding the government, and I don't think I have it written down here, but I remember reading what happened. It's like some bullshit over, like, something with grenades or something. They claim like, it was, you could tell, it was a very trumped-up charge, like, something about the price of grenades, were like, he suggested that the the Navy used this contractor to buy grenades from, and it wasn't like it wasn't a, it wasn't the lowest bidder, which they always use in the government. So they got him on <laughs> they got him on fraud and, and
1: the prosecutor was actually that admiral. He kidnapped twice. Yeah, probably revenge. You son of a bitch.
0: Martica would end up going to prison just for a year, and he was released. He would go on to write an autobiography called Rogue Warrior. Which was a bestseller and embarrassed the Navy again because he told all of this stuff that he had done. Um, it was so bad that the government barred Marchenko from writing anything about the military ever again. Um, as of today, he runs and operates a private security company.
1: Oh, he stole a lot?
0: Yeah, he's a military consultant. He works on like games, films, T V shows and stuff like that.
1: Oh god, I just imagine like he's consulting on like battlefield. Wow, and and also he has a side gig where he works for rival grocery companies, uh, buying liquor without uh, to see if their uh, bag boys will card them.
0: That's how yeah. that's how James Lewis got fired. Marchinko pulled some shit on him. <laughs>
1: he became a he became that admiral. <laughs> just just wait, uh, James is going to get fired from Walmart for the same thing.
0: Marchenko <laughs> is after, him. he's a smart man, but uh, and. With that, let me finish up the story with John Paul Jones, because I told you all that stuff that happened that he did, you know, National Hero of the United States. Um, After the war, when the United States of America was formed, the Continental Navy was disbanded. Uh, We wouldn't have a Navy like a standing Navy at all times until John Adams was president in the late 1800s. Like uh, I want to say this would have been 10 years before he created the Navy. But, uh, Jones, he went and searched for gainful employment, because all he knew about was sailing, and in his travels across the world, he ended up in Russia of all places, and he was given a a commission as a flag officer in the Imperial Russian Navy, which means he was a vice-admiral, and he was given command of a 24-gun flagship known as the Vladimir.
1: Jeez, this guy and his ships.
0: (laughs) He... Well, you know, that's how it works, man. He's in the Navy. Of course, he's going to command ships.
1: And he's got an Xbox One now. It's just overkill.
0: <laughs> the Russians offered him the PS4. They turned it down. He's a man of principle. But, uh, now the Vladimir waged a successful campaign for the Russian Empire during a brief war with the Ottoman Turks in the Caspian Sea. Um, other Russians, naval officers who were jealous of Jones and his success, they, uh, They schemed against him and had him transferred from actually commanding the ship to a meaningless post in the middle of nowhere. So Empress Catherine II ended up awarding John Paul Jones with the Order of St. Anne, and he retired from the Russian Navy and discussed the whole political schemes in 1790. And two years later, he would die of a kidney disorder at just the age of 45.
1: I was hoping he would die of, like, silver poisoning. The ultimate irony. Um,
0: he, was, he was buried in Paris, where he died. But uh, years later, they exhumed his body and gave him a military escort across Atlantic, with several U.S. battleships flanking him. Uh, his body was interred at the U.S. Naval Academy, where President and one-time Historical Flight Club participant, Teddy Roosevelt, presided over the ceremony.
1: And Benjamin Franklin broke down some mad rhymes.
0: Zombie Franklin. He danced a funky dance in his honor.
1: <laughs> Cyborg Franklin.
0: John Paul Jones is often called the father of the United States Navy by a lot of people. Um, and his fearlessness, cunning, and hatred of surrendering are exemplary exemplary qualities of a perfect naval officer.
1: And theft of plates.
0: Theft of plates, of course. That is in the naval code. You'll see that.
1: Yeah, he was buried with his Xbox One, and his his casket is actually his final ship. It's got thirty six guns.
0: <laughs> the 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 thirty six gun J P J. But uh, so yeah, that is sort of the long and short of both men's lives, right there. And so I have given you the tale of the tape. Mm-hmm. So how do you think this will work? Uh, these two men, these two titans of naval power squaring off against each other.
1: Okay, so what are their attributes?
0: Well, I would say that both of them were skilled fighters. Uh, I don't know. I can't really gauge Marchenko's hand-to-hand combat because he never killed a man with a sword. But if he was a Navy SEAL, he was, pretty, he was probably going to be pretty proficient at hand-to-hand combat. Right. So I think, at least on that scale, both men are equal. Uh, as far as like naval, actually naval prowess and actually sailing a ship, John Paul Jones has the clear advantage because as far as I can tell, Marchenko never uh, actually got even close to actually sailing the ship during his time with the Navy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I have, I wish I, I don't have their, their stats on the heights and weights, but I think from what I read, I think John Paul Jones was pretty tall for, for the time. So that would put him around six feet, something. And I know if Marchenko was in the Navy, he had to at least be, like, 5'7", 5'8", because they had a height requirement.
1: Okay. Maybe. So... So, roughly, I mean, probably, like, a foot difference.
0: Maybe. It depends. Uh, I would say anywhere between maybe 8 to okay. eight to 4 inches height. I'm not really sure. I wish I would... I should have looked... Up. Usually I look up height, but I forgot about this, this time.
1: Alright, well, based on what I know, based on what you've given me, uh... Here's how I foresee it. Um, I foresee that it would have to be a battle at sea mm-hmm. because, of course, both men are of the sea. I mean, he was – John Paul Jones was a naval captain. I mean, he had several ships, and, of course, the other guy was a member of SEAL Team 6 and one yeah. of the underwater – demolition team members. Yes, which became, of course, the U.S. Navy SEALs.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say that while maybe Marchenko is not, you know, maybe a good sailor or I assume, oh, you know, not a sailor compared to John Paul Jones, the sailor, but I would say that he's probably very expert in fighting in water. That's the thing about the Navy SEALs. do not matter where you hide. Navy SEALs, you know, by sea, by land, or by air, they come up for your ass. Their mm-hmm. head will pop up in the toilet kill you. <laughs>
1: He'll pop up out of, like, an air vent.
0: Yeah. Surprise, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) They'll harass their wife.
0: (laughs) Steal your plates. Good looking now, asshole. And they run off. (laughs)
1: Lick your floors. (laughs) Um, So it's obviously a battle at sea. The way I foresee it is that both one of John Paul Jones' ships and one of the submarines that the other guy is um, Richard Martico... Marchinko. Yeah, Richard Marchinko. He has a submarine. And they meet in the middle of the Atlantic. And they're they're tossing, you know, bomb Like, he tosses a torpedo. Uh-huh. He shoots a torpedo at him. Uh, of course, that does damage, but it doesn't really level the ship. Because...
0: Um, now, are we talking, like, technological? Like, it, are we talking about, like, modern-day torpedoes? Because I'd have to say that a modern-day torpedo would, like tear through, like, a frigate from that time period, like, like, a knife through tissue paper or something.
1: Well, thankfully, uh, he completely avoids it somehow, (laughs) which, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say due to, like, he, it's that scene in the 66 Batman movie where they figure out, like, if they get magnets or something, if, if they get, like, a radio signal.
0: I thought maybe you were gonna say, like, a a porpoise sacrificed himself in front of the torpedo.
1: No, let's go with that, that's better. Okay. Okay, so a porpoise comes in the way of Richard Marchenko's torpedo. Then John Paul Jones in retaliation fires off a cannon, and, and it's it does like minimal damage, but not yeah, that much. It's more cosmetic. It's,
0: yeah, it might it might put a dent in the sub, but that's all it's gonna do.
1: Yeah, It's a submarine. But here's the thing: they keep fighting, and. He's tearing the ship apart. I mean, he's easily dismantling it piece by piece, but John Paul Jones refuses to give up because he has not yet begun to fight. Exactly. So what he does is he dives in the water with a knife between his teeth.
0: Yeah, that's what I
1: like, see? And, uh, of course, uh, the submarine, I would assume they they run out of artillery. Yeah. So
0: They I mean, I mean, probably would at some point, I assume. Yeah,
1: Richard Marchenko swims out. And he's got a knife between his teeth. (laughs) Underwater knife fight. Exactly. They're having an underwater knife sword fight. (laughs) And, of course, John Paul Jones has the advantage because he was in that sword fight. But Richard Martinchenko also has the benefit of knowing modern-day combat skills. So both men disarm each other. (laughs) And what happens is they end up having a slap fight. (laughs) Underwater slap fight, the best kind. An underwater slap fight. And while the Star Trek music is playing, <laughs> and I imagine that uh, eventually uh, John Paul Jones, you know, he, he puts up a good fight. But good fight, Richard, Richard Marchenko, you know, he's he's got a bit of an upper hand because he knows way more about modern-day combat. So eventually John Paul Jones gets wise to this, and he manages to slip away by distracting him. So what Marchinko does is, he gets a member of John Paul Jones's family, tortures them, mildly. Yeah, mildly tortures them for nuclear codes. Quote unquote. Which,
0: yeah, which you know, obviously, they, don't, they don't
1: have. So they don't
0: even know what nuclear is.
1: Yeah, but he and, goes all the way back to the 1700s to do this. <laughs> I, I his time sure.
0: traveling, his sexy time traveling soap.
1: Yeah, yeah. Bruce, he was escorted by Bruce Willis. <laughs> so. He eventually tortures the information uh, finds John Paul Jones and steals his plates.
0: Oh no. Winner Richard Marchinko. He went too far.
1: <laughs> John Paul Jones is disgraced with his lack of plates.
0: But you forgot to mention one important thing. While Richard Marchinko was breaking into John Paul Jones's house, John Paul Jones was in Richard Marchinko's house harassing his wife. <laughs>
1: God. Well, he got a minor victory then. He got he got a minor uh, retaliation in. Yeah, so
0: you were to call this in favor of Richard Marchenko. Dynamite yeah. Dick himself.
1: Yes, Dynamite. No, no, no. Doomsday Dick. Remember? Doomsday Dick, yes. Yes. The disgraced Dick. Yes, because remember, evil always wins.
0: Well, uh, I guess we'll notch that one in favor of Richard Marchenko.
1: Yes. Marchenko...
0: Oh, Chinko.
1: Well are were you sufficiently satisfied with that?
0: I think I was. Yeah, that was good. Um my uh my old school bias wants me to lean more towards John Paul Jones, but uh I'll accept your judgment.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for. To judge. To judge and relay my unexpert opinion on things. Yes.
0: No one does it like you.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's why I'm the yin to your ying.
0: Well, um, I guess with the fight decided, I'll go ahead and call this match. Ding, 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 or whatever you do when you call a match.
1: He's had enough, dear God. Let him off. Let him off bar, the ropes. By God, he's had enough. <laughs> Pull him off. him. someone stop the damn fight, <laughs> dynamite Dick is going crazy. Can you believe this, King? <laughs> uh,
0: um, that's what this needs commentators.
1: Yes, exactly. Jerry the – I mean, uh, JR. Yeah. I mean, Jim Ross. I mean, he's not working for WWE anymore, so. Maybe, Maybe we can get him. him.
0: But, uh, so yeah, I guess with uh, with the fight called and decided in favor of Richard Marchenko, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. You have been listening to Conjectural Combat. I've been the history fanboy, Matt.
1: And I've been the fictional fanboy, Alex. And we will see you on the battleground.